And we're back in our main message series on the life of Jesus. We're going through all four of the Gospels in chronological order, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to discover who Jesus really was, what he really did, and what he really taught for ourselves. We don't want secondhand information. We want to see him in his own words, in his word. And last time we were in this series, Jesus was getting into it pretty intensely with the Pharisees over the issue of how they were representing his heavenly father on the earth. It was a touchy issue for Jesus. This week, Jesus is going to continue with that theme by warning his disciples about the dangers of hypocrisy. And you're probably thinking, good, Christians need to hear this. But Hang with me, because if you're thinking that other people need to be told off for being hypocrites, then you're probably setting yourself up to be a hypocrite yourself. So what is hypocrisy? What is it, and how do we define it? The dictionary puts it this way. I put it on your outlines. Hypocrisy is the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behavior does not conform. Synonyms include posturing, empty talk, insincerity, falseness, deceit, dishonesty, pretense, and duplicity, or as some might say, being full of it. If your life, the way you live, doesn't match up with what you claim to believe, then you're a hypocrite. The word hypocrite comes from a Greek word which was used to refer to an actor, one who plays a part. Now, to keep us from becoming overly judgmental of others and to keep us all humble, let me give a few examples. If you claim to believe that global warming is destroying our planet, but you drive a car that doesn't use clean power, you're a hypocrite by definition. If you claim to believe that as a taxpayer, you find it offensive that you have to subsidize health insurance for people who are willingly morbidly obese, but you don't actually do anything to take care of your own health. You don't exercise or watch your diet. You're a hypocrite. If you claim to believe that kindness is important because you never know what someone else is going through, yet you were recently cussing someone from inside your car as they cut you off or drove too slow in the wrong lane, you're a hypocrite. Every single one of us is a hypocrite in multiple areas right now. And if you claim you're not, then you're a hypocrite in that area as well. Well done. But you know what? If you're a hypocrite in some areas, you're simply human. I mean, we can all only resist chocolate so long. But you shouldn't be a hypocrite in certain specific areas. And one of those areas is your faith in God. It matters more than anything. And here's why. Because people are looking at your life, they're looking at my life, and they're saying, if you claim to believe in God... They're not just judging whether or not you're full of it. They're judging whether or not Christianity is full of it, whether or not the gospel is full of it. You see, it's not just your reputation that is on the line. It's the reputation of God, which he has entrusted to all who take his name and say, I am a Christian, Christian. I represent Jesus on the earth. That's a really, really, really big deal. Jesus hated, and yes, I mean that, he hated the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. They were a large part of the ruling class in Israel at that time, at a time when religious rule and political rule intersected and were mingled together. Rome ruled over all of Israel, but it gave a specific amount of political power for local affairs to the religious leaders, many of whom were Pharisees. And the Pharisees took it upon themselves to tell the people of Israel what it meant to follow God and a 
practical way in everyday life. And Jesus hated them for turning following his father in heaven into the greatest burden anyone could ever take upon themselves. It was impossible, it was crushing, it was something that would steal all of your joy. And Jesus would say, I created men and women for a relationship with me and with my father that knowing God would be the greatest thing in their life, the biggest blessing. I literally created them to know God and be known by him and you've made it into a dreaded chore. That's what Jesus is talking about when he said, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, not only that, but the Pharisees didn't actually live lives that lined up with what they were telling everybody else to do. They kept up appearances in public. They were like actors playing a part, but they were hypocrites because Jesus knew how they were living in secret, away from the public eye. And Jesus knew what was really going on in their minds and in their hearts, and he knew what their thought life was like. And knowing that, Jesus' position was, and he said it with total accuracy, you don't love my Father in heaven. You don't love God. You've got no business claiming to represent him to these people. The truth is that you're the worst of them because you're claiming to be high and holy when you're not. There's no room for hypocrisy in my faith or in your faith. People are watching. We represent God. He's entrusted us with his reputation. The stakes are simply too high for us to be hypocrites. So let's jump in. We're in Luke 12 and we'll begin in verse 1. It says, in the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together, this is thousands and thousands of people coming around Jesus, so that they trampled one another. It's a frenzied crowd. This is one of the high points of popularity in Jesus' ministry. And we can also assume very safely that, as always, the Pharisees would have been right there next to Jesus looking for the opportunity to catch him in something. They wanted to catch him saying something they could use to accuse him of blasphemy. They wanted to catch him saying something they could use to accuse him of being against Rome so that they could arrest him or have the Romans arrest him and have him dealt with as a problem to their authority. It says, he began to say, and then underline, to his disciples first of all, to his disciples first of all. So huge crowd around him, Pharisees close by him, but Jesus turns and he talks to his disciples. He gives them a teaching, not the crowd, his disciples. And what's probably happening here is Jesus gestures over to the nearby Pharisees who would have been within earshot, and Jesus says to his own disciples, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy, hypocrisy. And I want you to underline leaven and hypocrisy. That's an awkward opening line. Can you imagine the the tension in the air? Because these were not men that you wanted to mess with. Jesus' disciples are primarily teenage boys, and they had to be thinking, oh boy. Maybe they're lacing up their sandals in case they need to get ready to run because you got a frenzied crowd all around you and Jesus has just verbally attacked the political and religious leaders, the power brokers of the day. We know that in the Bible, leaven is always a picture of what? 
Always a picture of sin, you got it. And the Bible uses leaven as a picture of sin because it's a well-known ingredient for baking bread. It's what makes the dough ferment and rise. We actually refer to it most commonly in our culture as you probably guessed it, yeast. And as you may know, all it takes is a little bit of leaven to permeate, to spread through the whole loaf. And God wants us to know that sin is like that. You allow a little bit of it into your life, you tolerate it, you put up with it, you excuse it, it soon spreads into every area of your life. You tolerate it in your church, it soon spreads across your church. Also like leaven, sin corrupts by puffing up is what the Bible says, by filling you with pride and arrogance. It's a very elegant metaphor you can dive into further in your own studies. So what Jesus is saying, he's saying that hypocrisy is a sin that will spread through your whole life and it has spread through the whole lives of these Pharisees. It contaminates everything. So in saying that, Jesus has established the theme, the topic that he's going to be talking about in the coming verses. He's given us the context. The topic is hypocrisy. And what we're going to see here is Jesus busting several myths about hypocrisy, claiming to believe one thing while your actions tell a different story. These myths are the beliefs that lead us to become hypocrites. They're lies that we can buy into, intentionally or unintentionally, and if we believe these things, we believe these myths, the result in our life will be hypocrisy. We're gonna see five myths in our text today. And I believe Jesus illuminates these myths here to help his disciples recognize them to avoid falling into them. And obviously they still apply to our lives today. So let's get into it, verse two. For there is nothing, underline nothing, covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever, underline whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. So let's have some fun with this first. How many of you, if you were raised in the church, you would be taught this text and then your pastor would very somberly take off his glasses and say, listen, one day everyone who has ever lived will be standing before God in a sea of billions of people and the Lord will roll out the biggest TV you have ever seen and he will go to a shelf and pull out several VHS cassettes upon which your entire life has been recorded. But don't worry, it's just a highlight package of the worst things you've ever done and thought. So your worst thoughts are now given a dramatic reenactment for the purposes of visual clarity. And then we will sit and we will watch everything that you've ever thought that was bad and everything you've ever done that was bad. And after that's done, those who do not believe in Jesus will be condemned to hell and those who do believe in Jesus will be allowed into heaven where I can only assume we will spend eternity avoiding eye contact with each other. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard something like that. I heard that sort of thing growing up. And when they would always get to the punchline, but if you believe in Jesus, you'll be allowed into heaven, you would always feel like, yay? That's great. I'm gonna spend eternity walking around like this. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. There's no mention of judgment, and there's no mention of judgment day. What Jesus is talking about is this life, here and now. He's pointing out the simple truth that we reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. Every hypocrite is ultimately exposed. 
Every hypocrite's ultimately exposed. Here on the earth, it's going to come out. It always does. And you know this is true because you've learned that anytime you think you're getting away with something, it's like climbing up a ladder. It just means you're going to fall from a greater height later on. But everything comes out. Our words stick around a long time, a lot longer than we'd like most of the time, if we're honest. Jesus is giving fantastic advice here. He's saying since, not if, but since you will reap what you sow, how do you think you should live? How do you think you should act when you're at home out of view of the rest of the world? How do you think you should speak about other people? You've probably learned like I have that you'll never regret not saying something bad about someone. You never look back and go, oh man, that was such a good chance to slam that person in that conversation with that other person. Well, maybe you do, but you know, then you have time with Jesus and you're like, I'm glad I didn't, I'm glad I didn't. The temptation when Jesus says this is for us to say, yeah, those Pharisees are gonna get busted, those hypocrites. But the principle really applies to all of us as well. We reap what we sow. In fact, this is the first myth that leads to hypocrisy. Make a note of this. This is the first myth. Nobody will ever find out. Nobody will ever find out. One of Satan's favorite ways to get you to compromise your faith is to tell you that nobody's ever going to find out. So just do this in secret. It'll never come out. And the tragedy is that when it does inevitably come out, Satan, the same one who was telling you it would never come out, is right there to bind you up in shame and guilt and do everything he can to keep you from Jesus, to keep you from experiencing forgiveness. The first myth of hypocrisy is that nobody will ever find out. If we buy into that lie, we're on the road to hypocrisy. So keep the context in mind here. The Pharisees, they've stirred up the crowd against other people in the past before. And when the crowd gets stirred up, they get in a religious frenzy, people have died. People have been stoned to death by an angry mob that gets worked up. So not only could the Pharisees arrange for your death, which the disciples must have been very nervous about in that moment, but they could also kill you slowly if they wanted to. You see, they could excommunicate you from the synagogue, kicked out of the church, and they could declare you persona non grata. And what that would mean is that you were not only excommunicated from the synagogue, but you were excommunicated from Jewish society. Nobody was to talk to you. Nobody was to help you with anything. Nobody was to eat with you. Nobody was to be friends with you. Nobody was to do business with you or employ you. You would be a Jew who was hated by Jews, a part of the most hated ethnic group on earth who's also hated by your own people. And Jesus knows all of this. So Jesus gives them this perspective adjustment. In verse four, he says, and I say to you, my friends, underline my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more they can do. But, and then underline, I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. And this is what hits me every time I read this. We all want to be motivated by love. We all understand that love is the supreme ethic above all others. But the truth is, most of the time, we're more motivated by fear. How many people start working out because they just love feeling healthy? 
versus how many people join gyms, set resolutions, and start working out because they're terrified if I don't make myself more attractive, I'm gonna die alone. Or the number of people that begin working out because the doctor says, you got about a year until you have a heart attack and die unless you do something. The overwhelming majority of people who go to the gym are ultimately there out of fear. Fear of being alone, not attracting an attractive spouse or mate, or fear of death and disease. Most of the time, we're more motivated by fear than by love. And Jesus obviously wants us to be motivated by our love for him, but he also knows we can find ourselves in some very scary and intimidating situations where fear can seem overwhelming. So get what Jesus does here. He redeems their fear. He redeems their fear. He takes something that's wrong and he makes it right. He takes that which is broken and he turns it into something that's holy. He says, okay, if you find yourself in a situation where your fear is stronger than your love for me, remember this, not only am I the one who's most worthy of your love, I'm also the one who's most worthy of your fear. For while rejecting them may lead to earthly death, Rejecting the Lord leads to eternal death. And then it floors me that Jesus talks about physical death as merely physical death. It's merely physical death. He says they can kill the body, but that's it. I mean, that's all. And that floors me because even today as believers, so often we don't fully grasp this concept that compared to eternity, compared to heaven, this life is is a snap of the fingers. We still sometimes look at death as, God, how could you allow that person to die? It's the worst thing that could have happened. And Jesus would say, they only lost their earthly body. They're with me now. They're in paradise in a a new, eternal, indestructible body that's perfect. They're at rest in that body every moment, every second of every day in eternity, and they don't have to do anything to maintain that body. It's not breaking down. They're in my presence. They're enjoying pleasures the likes of which you you can't even comprehend. There's no scale for them. It's merely physical death. It's merely physical death. Jesus says, what are you so scared of? What are you so upset about? It's just physical death. It's an astonishing paradigm shift. We all know that the Bible says what about the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom knows that even when the knife is being held to your neck and death is coming soon, wisdom knows that means you will soon be standing before Jesus, beginning a life in eternity. And wisdom says, I'm much more concerned about what I'm gonna be able to say to Jesus in that moment than I am about what's gonna happen to my earthly life right now. In the darkest of moments, that's how the fear of the Lord produces wisdom. And I was doing this, I was thinking of those 21 Egyptian Coptic Christian martyrs who were killed on the beach by ISIS and none of them recanted their faith. They stood strong and Jesus is the last name on their lips. And that could only happen because they knew exactly where they would be and whom they would be with the moment after their earthly life ended. And in the face of seemingly overwhelming evil, they feared God more than they feared their executioners. They feared God. Here's the second myth that leads to hypocrisy. 
Sometimes it's justifiable. The second myth that leads to hypocrisy is the lie that sometimes it's justifiable. Satan wants us to believe this and so he whispers to us, it's okay, God understands you need to fit in with your workmates, your classmates, your family, the the other guys on the team, or he says, God knows you're really, really lonely. He understands. It's okay to sleep with them. God wants you to be happy. If you only have convictions when it's convenient, you have no convictions. Jesus has just told his disciples, those who follow me are not to be hypocrites, even if it costs you your earthly life. The second myth of hypocrisy is the lie that sometimes it's justifiable to be a hypocrite. It's not. And your testimony, your witness to the world will never matter more, will never be more powerful than when it's most difficult. And this angle is amazing too, that in front of the very people who were plotting his murder, in front of the very people who would actually succeed in orchestrating his murder, Jesus says in front of them, Don't fear people who can only kill your physical body. He's staring death in the face quite literally and he he just robs it of all its power, all its authority. The subtext is Jesus literally staring death in the face and saying, yeah, death is coming for me. But it's only physical death. It's only earthly death. And here's what I know. Those Pharisees had never heard anybody talk like this before. It wasn't gusto. It wasn't bravado. It wasn't Jesus ranting or hyping himself up. Their power didn't cause a drop of fear in Jesus. Nothing. And they could hear in his voice. Jesus wasn't trying to convince himself of this. He was just stating the truth plainly. He's not afraid of them and they can feel it. They can see it on his face. He's not afraid of them. And finally for these verses, while we're here, I need to point out that this is just one more place where Jesus affirms that he himself does indeed believe in a literal hell. He says, fear him who after he is killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. And I only point that out because universalism continues to rise in our culture and Christianity is gonna be continually attacked, not really by voices from the outside, but by voices inside the church, as we've already begun to see, saying that hell is not a literal reality and we need to know that the Jesus of the Bible disagrees and he doesn't want us to go there. I hope that when push comes to shove, we'll take Jesus' word for it. So what Jesus has said is helpful and applicable to the moment when the gun is pointed to your head, but what about the slow death that we talked about? What about being cast out from society, unable to find work, unable to find help from anyone? I think a lot of us fear that more than the instant death. We fear that more than the gun to the head. And Jesus is gonna speak to that right here. Verse six, he says, are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins, that would have been about one sixteenth of a day's wages. The point is it's not very much. They're not considered by anybody to be valuable creatures. And then he says, and then underline this, not one of them is forgotten before God. Not one of them is forgotten before God. I love that so much. Not because I'm crazy about animals, but I love the thought that there's not a single living creature anywhere on the planet that God isn't watching and completely aware of right now. 
he goes on and he says, but the very hairs of your head are all, underline all, numbered. Less impressive in my case, but incredible for the average person. God knows everything about you right now. It's not information that was compiled at one time and is put in a filing cabinet and God just has access to all the information. You need to understand God has the capacity to be actively present in that information, in that reality, every moment of every day, all the time. He's omnipresent. He's not aware of how many hairs are on your head because he has it on a piece of paper. He knows. He just knows right now. He knows exactly what is going on in your life right now. He's present with you in it. He knows you better than you know yourself. He goes on and he says, then underline, do not fear. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. I can't really improve on what Jesus says here. If you're scared that this life is going to overpower you, if you're scared that the situation you're in is just too much, that you're going under and you're going to drown, still your mind And still your heart long enough to let these words sink in. This is what Jesus wants you to know right now. And just as he would have had a smile on his face as he addressed his disciples, he has a smile on his face as he addresses you and says, are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. And let me ask you, do not fear. Is that a suggestion? Is that a request? Or is it a command? It's a command from the Lord. Do not fear. Do not allow it in your life. Do not tolerate it. In your soul, do not think on it. It's a command from Jesus to choose to believe his words because what he's just laid out has put us in a place of decision. He says, you have a choice. You either believe what I've said or you fear. But you cannot believe what I've said and also be full of fear. That's the choice. And Jesus says, do not fear. What Jesus is saying is that the Lord doesn't just know everything about you because he's God. He knows everything about you because he loves you and he values you. He says you're worth more. He doesn't just know about you. He's not just observing and saying, oh man, they're really screwed right now. He loves you. He assigns value to you. How much value? Well, look at the cross. That's how much value he assigns to you. If he cares and knows about a creature as inconsequential as a sparrow, how do you think he feels about his child? You're his son or you're his daughter. In light of that reality, do not fear. Here's the third myth that leads to hypocrisy. Only the world can meet my needs. Only the world can meet my needs. Satan wants you to believe that. I have to have a job in order to live. If nobody will hire someone who's a Christian, then I'll just have to keep quiet about it because my most basic needs can only be met if I have money. And to have money, I have to have a job. And in order to have to have a job, I have to have an employer. And in order to have an employer, they can't know that I'm a follower of Jesus. 
these would be very real issues facing the early church and many believers in countries still today. Jesus says that kind of thinking is gonna make you a hypocrite. What's the solution? Do not fear. God sees you, knows you, loves you, knows what you need and he's gonna take care of you. His ability to provide for you is not limited in any way. He's not bound by the system of your country or your city or this planet. He creates out of nothing. He holds the universe in the palm of his hand. And he's going to hold you. He's not going to let you go. Do you see how Jesus is working systematically to drive fear out of his disciples by addressing every possible concern that they might have? He wants to free them to not be afraid of any man, any person, or any situation so that their faith can be completely in him. When God was sending Israel out to face some very serious and intimidating enemies, he told Moses to tell the people, I put these on your outline, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them for the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Jesus himself said this to his disciples before he returned to heaven at the end of his earthly ministry. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And the apostle Paul says that in light of those words of Jesus, we too can boldly repeat the words of King David. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now Jesus is going to directly link facing persecution and death on the earth with standing before him in eternity. He says this in verse eight. Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the son of man also, and then underline, will confess before the angels of God. Jesus says if you confess that I'm God in this life, I'll confess that you belong to me in eternity. Again, it's that reminder to remember that this life is not eternity and we should never trade security in this life for security in eternity. Then I would guess Jesus glances over very obviously toward the Pharisees, raises his voice a bit and says, but he who denies me before men will be denied, underline will be denied before the angels of God. So if you claim that I'm not God in this life, I'll claim that you don't belong to me in eternity. Verse 10, and anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will, and then underline, not be forgiven. We're going to explain again real quickly what that means. We've talked about this before. But the reason Jesus is really saying this is because most of the people who are hearing Jesus preach and speak right now, overhearing what he's saying, they're not going to buy that he's the Savior. They're gonna say he's a phony, he's a fraud. And many of them will change their opinion after he rises from the dead. And that's why Jesus is saying, listen, you say something bad about me, you'll be forgiven. We can move on from that. But here's what you can't do, you can't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? Well, God speaks to a person through the Holy Spirit, convicting them of their sin, calling them to repent and turn to Jesus. That person doesn't listen to the Holy Spirit and instead resists the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes again, calls the person to repent again, and they don't. They resist the Holy Spirit. And this process happens over and over and over again over the course of their lifetime. And then one day they die. 
And they die having never received Jesus, having never responded to the Holy Spirit. And now it's too late. They can't repent once they're on the other side. They've arrived at that moment Jesus described where it will all come down to one thing. Do you belong to Jesus? Did you confess him before men? The opportunity will have passed and they've committed over their lifetime the unforgivable sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which is calling the Holy Spirit a liar, which is what a person does when the Holy Spirit says, turn to Jesus. They say, no, no, I don't need that. Jesus says, you you can't be forgiven for that. And I think what we should point out that should make everybody take this so seriously is that one can reach that point long before death, long before death. A person can reject the Holy Spirit so many times that they eventually tune him out like a frequency being tuned out. If you have young kids, you sort of know what I'm talking about. Where They can be making just the craziest amount of noise in the world and it's just white noise to you after a certain amount of time. But they're loud. It's not that they're not loud and obvious. It's just that you've tuned them out. You've become familiar with the frequency. And we can do that with the Holy Spirit. And people reach the place basically where because they wouldn't hear him, they can't hear him. That's why I believe that Jesus speaks, verse 10, as a warning to these Pharisees and lawyers who are listening in because they're real close to the point of no return. They're real close. Jesus is saying, you've been at most of my speaking engagements, heard me talk, you've seen the miracles. You guys are real close to not being able to hear no matter what the Holy Spirit does. Here's the fourth myth that leads to hypocrisy. My beliefs and convictions are a private matter. My beliefs and convictions are a private matter. We love this idea in Canada. I don't want to talk about them with you. I don't want you to ask me about them. It's all a personal thing because that's what polite society does. An easy way to avoid difficulty is to just stand for nothing. Don't stand for anything. Don't don't have a stance on anything. Don't have any advertised beliefs or convictions. Never rock the cultural boat and people will probably love you for it. Satan says, hey, you know, a great way to avoid being a hypocrite is to just not advertise your beliefs. I mean, if you stand for nothing, then you can't ever really be accused of being a hypocrite. And besides, what we believe is really a private matter. Jesus makes it clear that one day our private beliefs are gonna be in full view of everyone who's ever lived and our private beliefs will be used to determine our eternal destiny. Paul sums up the attitude of a Christian when he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. You see, you can't receive the gospel and be ashamed of it. If you're ashamed of it, then you don't understand it and you don't have it. For the Christian, receiving the gospel is to be immediately followed by public baptism. Why? Because the first thing you gotta understand is if you're too ashamed to let anybody know that you believe in Jesus, then you have not even begun to follow him yet. It's not a question of maturity. It's a question of love for Jesus. Are you proud to be his son or his daughter? Are you proud to belong to Jesus? Are you ashamed of him? For the Christian, the only option is I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. It is a lie, it is a myth that our faith is a private matter. 
Verse 11, Jesus says, Now when they, motioning again towards the Pharisees, bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, underline, do not worry. Do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. And then verse 12, 4, underline, the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now before we go any further, I just want to point out, there are pastors and ministers who use this horribly out of context to not prepare anything when they come to church. I didn't prepare a message this morning. Why? Because Jesus said in Luke 12, he will give me in that moment the exact words to say. So I have a download for you. Came to me just 10 minutes ago in the car on the way to church this morning. That's not what Jesus is talking about. I hope you noticed that the context he's giving is when they bring you, it's really when they drag you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities. So, so someone's being dragged in front of a hostile audience of some sort and told to defend their faith. That's the context. It's not a license to never prepare for ministry. And the scene Jesus is describing is one that's played out thousands and thousands of times across history. More than we could ever imagine, a a Christian is dragged in front of a hostile audience and interrogated for their faith. Why do you believe this? Do you love this Jesus more than the king, more than the president? Do you hate everyone who isn't a Christian? Are you plotting to bring down the government? How can you believe that someone rose from the dead? Jesus' disciples knew we're not equipped to deal with questions from men who've devoted their whole lives to the scriptures. We're not in their league intellectually. We're not in their league philosophically. They can defeat us just by using words we've never even heard before. And Jesus knew that Satan would play to that fear and whisper to them, you know, it would be better if you didn't give a bumbling, stupid, idiotic public explanation of the gospel, so for the good of the faith, you should probably just keep it to yourself. Are you picking up that this hits really close to home for us today? Because even today, you may not be dragged through the streets and brought before some type of board or commission, but you may be required to appear before one and ask questions that may absolutely terrify you. Why don't you believe in marriage equality? Do you hate gay people? Do you hate everyone who's different to you? How can you believe in God when science makes it so clear he doesn't exist? How can we trust your position to someone who holds such an unscientific view of the world? Explain yourself. And even today, Satan comes to us and says, you know, it would really just be for the best if you would just keep quiet about your faith. You're no apologist. You don't know the answers to those questions. They're going to eat you alive. Jesus says, listen, if you ever find yourself in that situation, it's only going to be for one reason. It'll only be because you love me and you confess me before men. Do you really think I'm going to abandon you in that moment? I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Do not worry about how or what you should answer, or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And it may not be a snappy answer like you're hoping for. It may not be the answer that makes everyone suddenly look stupid, fall to their knees and say, I need Jesus. You still may end up looking like a fool, but Jesus may give you an answer that one person in the room just can't get out of their head. And years later, Your answer 
in that moment that you had no idea impacted anyone turns out to be the major catalyst in someone's salvation. However he does it, God will give you the words to say. He'll guide you through the process. He doesn't want you to worry. He'll make sure that what he once said gets said. So the fifth myth that leads to hypocrisy. Man, say that five times fast. Fifth myth, okay. That leads to hypocrisy is this. You're not ready to publicly defend your faith. That's the lie. You're not ready to publicly defend your faith. Jesus just told us that's not true. Our confidence is not supposed to be in prepared answers, but in the helper, in the Holy Spirit who's always with us, and he's with you, and he'll be with you if you ever find yourself in a difficult situation like that. In that moment, the peace that you need is not gonna come from, oh man, I can't wait for these questions, I am so prepared. The peace you need is gonna come from knowing, hey, God's with me right now. He's literally in the room with me. He's guiding my thoughts. It's not a booming voice from the heaven, but he's leading even my thought process. And this moment is all about him. This isn't about me looking brilliant or looking stupid. This is about God, and he's with me. He's with me. Maybe you're thinking, I can handle emotional embarrassment, but I'm not sure I could face torture for Jesus. Here's what I'd tell you. Millions and millions, an unbelievable number of people have been killed for loving Jesus. Believers from all kinds of countries, believers from all kinds of ethnic backgrounds, believers with high pain tolerances and believers with low pain tolerances, believers who've been brave their whole life and believers who've been cowards their whole life up to that point. Men, women, even children, And when I read about the martyrs throughout history, the only conclusion I can come to is that the Lord gives a special power and a special grace to believers in those dark situations, a a power that's not rooted in who they are as a person, but who they are in Jesus Christ. The pattern that we see is believers showing courage and grace in the face of death, torture, and imprisonment that simply defies belief. And I would also tell you this, there's a way to know that you will have that same strength and courage and grace should you ever find yourself in a similar situation. Here's how you can know. You simply need to decide long before you ever get there. You need to decide long before you ever get there. Now is the time to decide that you're ready to die for Jesus. You're willing to go to prison for Jesus. You're willing to be tortured for Jesus. To settle that issue within yourself, And I believe that every believer who stood faithfully firm and gave their lives for Jesus, it was because they had made up their mind long before they ever get there. They weren't making a decision in the moment. They were just holding on to a decision they had made a long time ago. That they're with Jesus to the end. They're with him to the end, whatever that looks like. If you make that same decision, I promise God will provide what is needed for whatever situation you find yourself in. My belief is that you love Jesus. My belief is that you want to represent him well in this life. My belief is that you want to live a life of integrity where your life lines up with your beliefs. And my belief is that you want Jesus to be honored by the way you live your life. 
So I want to challenge you and I want to ask you as we wrap this up, if you've bought into any of these myths that lead to hypocrisy, have you believed the lie that nobody will ever find out? Have you believed the lie that sometimes it's justifiable? Have you believed the lie that only the world can meet my needs, so I better start playing by its rules? Have you believed the lie that my convictions and my beliefs are a private matter? And have you believed the lie that you're not ready to publicly defend your faith? If you answered yes to any of those questions, I want to encourage you to take some time this morning and and repent, which just means change your mind about that belief. Confess to the Lord that you've bought into a lie and then replace that lie with the truth, which is what his word says, the words of Jesus. And ask the Holy Spirit to burn that truth into your mind and your heart. Ask him to remind you of the truth anytime you start drifting toward the lie. And he'll do that for you. He'll do that for you. With that, would you bow your head and close your eyes? And just as we're doing this, uh, I just want to ask you to examine your own heart. Be reminded that Jesus provided everything that was needed for you to be saved, for you to be brought from death into life. And if he can do that, then you can trust he's going to provide everything you need to live a life of faith that honors him, that is a real testimony to him. So if you've bought into any of those lies this morning, Use this coming time to repent, ask Jesus to forgive you, and then tell him you want to believe the truth. And ask him to burn the truth into your mind and your heart. Father, thank you so much that through your son Jesus, you illuminated to us the things, the fears, the anxieties, the lies that we can buy into that will cause us to live our lives in fear as hypocrites, as people who are more afraid of men than we are of God. And God, it's our desire that not only would we love you more than anyone or anything, but we would fear you more than anyone or anything. Because in our moments of greatest weakness, Lord, we know that fear produces wisdom when our fear is of you. Lord, may we be far more concerned about the moment when we stand before you than any moment that we may face standing before men. You're the God of heaven and earth. You're the king of kings. You're the sovereign God over all things. And when we stand before you, we want to be able to say of a truth, I confessed you before men. I did not fear. I believed you when you said you would tell me what I needed to say. I believed you. I believed you when you said that you would take care of me. I believed you. Father, we put our hope and our trust and our faith in you once again. You are our provider. You are our sustainer. You're the lifter of our heads. You are our strength, Lord God. Even the faith we have is a gift from you. Help us to receive the faith that you want to grow in us with open arms, Lord. Grow our faith. Give us boldness so that we can live lives that honor And bless you, Jesus. Well, thanks for taking this time to listen and be in the Word of God with us. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to our website, mynewhope.ca, right now. 
When you get there, you'll see a graphic on our homepage that says the gospel. Click on that and you'll be able to watch a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's more important than whatever else you're doing right now. So stop whatever else you're doing, go to mynewhope.ca and click on the gospel. If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. Shoot us an email at info at mynewhope.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through his word. If you're in the greater Vancouver area, I want to invite you personally to come and be a part of New Hope Church. We believe God is doing something real special as we grow together in our faith and love for Jesus, and we would love you to be a part of it. And finally, if you'd like to support the Bible teaching ministry of New Hope through financial giving, you can also do that through our website. Just go to mynewhope.ca slash give. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for being in the Word of God with us. And always remember, God is with you.